Welcome to The Wheel Reads, a Wheel of Time podcast. Your hosts are Alan, Chris, and Ian. This podcast is safe for first-time readers with no spoilers. This week, we will be covering chapters 14 and 15 of The Eye of the World, The Stag and Lion, and Strangers and Friends. Enjoy. All right, welcome to episode eight of the Will Reads. Um, we are getting some fun stuff tonight. I got Ian and Chris on the phone with us, and we also have our Patreon listening uh, with us as well for this episode. So, uh, uh, doing some troubleshooting is gonna be a little different. So, hopefully, it works out all right. But um, um, uh, we'll have to troubleshoot some more stuff if we get more Patreons uh, joining in and want to do live episodes, and we'll figure it all out. I know there's a way because I know other podcasts do it. So. I'm sure we can figure this out. So before we get into this chapter, wanted to quickly just do a quick couple of shout outs. Um, our Discord's been kind of popping off. It's been great. Just getting a lot of interactions there. Uh, had a lot of fun there on Twitter as well. Um, uh, a lot of fun stuff happening. Um, one of the big announcements I wanted to make, at least this episode, is we did get media passes for Jordan Khan. So uh, it looks more and more like we're actually going, at least I am, and I think Ian is. I think Chris is still working out some details. Um, I'm not sure if Correct. you're ready, ready to say 100%, but at least two of us are going to be there. Um, unless, Ian, you change your mind. <laughs> um, I'm totally game. Definitely okay. game. I'm excited. So we got a hotel reservation. We got passes. Um, more to come on that. Obviously, we'll be talking about that leading up to, uh, to the, uh, April, April 17th when that happens. So... Um, before we get into anything else with the with the podcast, uh, just talk about our weeks briefly. I know we, we started doing that a few weeks ago. I like doing it. It just adds more to us. Um, kind of what's happened my last week, we had snow here in Virginia, which is pretty rare in this part of Virginia. And it was like snow always is, not very much of it. Uh, but my son actually got to play in the snow a little bit, which was fun. Uh, he's two and and you know he probably won't remember any of it by the time he gets older, but still it was a lot of fun just going out there playing the snow with him. Uh, even though it melted the next day and wasn't able to build a snowman because work was not canceled. So um, anything – I know, Ian, you had a state meet with uh, a swim meet with your kids. So, Yeah, so that was very cool. Uh, again, my, my oldest son, uh, he's a freshman in high school, already making state meet time. So went out there, watched that. The big meets were always a lot of fun. I mean, it's a lot of waiting, and then you get to watch him, like, sprint for 30 seconds. But it was fantastic. His team did great. Uh, I was very proud of him. Uh, after that, uh, had a very adult weekend. I, yeah, I visited a friend. I don't get to see that often down in Portsmouth. I know we've joked about Portsmouth. I survived. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so Saturday, like we went out and just every once in a while, I don't eat out that often, but every once in a while, I'm, uh, you know, I'm willing to pay the money for good food. Alan, you can attest to this. My mom was such a fantastic cook. She ruined restaurants for me because most places, <laughs> most places could not come close to cooking the way she did. So oh, if yeah. I'm going to go, I'm going all out, you know, uh, had a fantastic meal. It was so good. The next morning we were like, Hey, let's go do brunch together. And brunch lasted from 1 PM until 7 PM. Uh, apparently there's this restaurant in downtown Hampton that serves these mimosa towers and you're supposed to split them between people. Huh. Uh, but I had a couple to myself, and it was a good day. Yeah, it's a great day. Sure. Uh, 
Well, unlike Alan, I did get my snow day because I work for the public school system. <laughs> and if we get a dusting, we get the day off, which is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But no, I spent my weekend doing other people's taxes. I still haven't done mine, but I've done five other people's taxes. <laughs> I don't know how we worked that out. I did go to a party Friday night, so um, I should say that was an, an eventful night. It was like a party with the church group, but you know how Baptist people can party hard when they want to. <laughs> <laughs> Religion means absolutely nothing when vodka gets involved. <laughs> uh, I shouldn't say that, but God forgive. <laughs> there you go. Sounds good. Oh, and then I... um grief spent time with my my grandmother's 90 years old i went up to her house and spent some time oh. with her just you know you, you learn a little bit every time you get to spend moments with people that have lived much longer life than you have and you know we were talking quite a bit about different things you know my my great grandmother would be rolling over in her grave right now because she was never a fan of fiction apparently <laughs> um which only bred my grandmother's love for fiction and what she transferred over to me. Like we were having a conversation about how I was reading in a 12th grade reading level in kindergarten because my grandmother pushed us into the library and towards, you know, fiction stories as quickly as she could. So yeah, it's just an enjoyable weekend. Good. That sounds That's fantastic. Hey, Chris, I know you already know this because you're doing it, but uh, so my grandparents, on both sides were uh, much, much older, so they've already passed away. But I was thankful my parents encouraged me spending a lot of time with them. And trust me, just cherish those moments. There's so much you can get about your family history and just an understanding of where you come from and, and enjoy that. Definitely. Yeah, my, my grandma is definitely my best friend. So <laughs> oh, Nice, nice. So, Ian, I think you have this week for our country or state. Uh, last week, which the episode drops tomorrow for last week's episode, we did China. Uh, the week before to India, and we actually got an Indian listener from that. So uh, thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> thank you. Uh, our, our Discord uh, our came through and helped us out getting that. So um, China's, of course, what you guys will find out tomorrow. But, uh, of course, by the time you listen to this, it'll be a whole week. But, Ian, you're up for country or state. Okay. I figure every now and then we got to do a little softball toss. Uh, so we checked the stats, and we still don't have Delaware. So hit me up, Delaware. All right. So Delaware, um, we're, we're looking for a listener in Delaware. We have very few states left to go. Um, so uh, surprisingly, Delaware is still just one of them we don't have. So um, with that, let's go ahead and get moving into the actual episode. So predictions, uh, kind of cover a few of those that we had from the last few weeks. And and um, and we'll can see if any of them come true this week, but uh, some of them are more just uh, opinions or thoughts. But so Moraine is even worse than we thought was one uh, prediction from last <laughs> week. <laughs> um, Lan um, has a soft spot for the young lads. Uh, I think we're seeing that come from one more three. We'll see if it continues that way. Uh, Moraine obviously did not read the chapter titles uh, from last week's episode. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Rand apparently might be able to channel. So uh, those were uh, – um, some predictions from last week are the, some, some of the previous weeks. So those were the predictions from the last few weeks. Um, so uh, with that, we'll just go get right started. In chapter 14, the stag and lion. So um, we'll get right into uh, the symbol, which is the dragon's fang again. 
So I think at this point we pretty much know that some stuff is going to go down involving the dark one. <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah, and it, it's been used as a sign on the doorways, you know, not welcome, trying to drive people out. And we didn't exactly see that here, but it was made very clear by um, Moran and Land that if their true identities were found out, uh, they would not be welcome there. And people are certainly looking for them. So they're very cautious not to get booted out of town. Sure. Okay. So, yeah, so let's go ahead and start it. So it starts, we go into the end. So we're, we're in the inn. We're inside the inn. Um, um, we start hearing some of the chatter there that winter's been bad and the miners are all in town. There's lots of stories about bad things that are happening up in the, up in the mountains and, and things of that nature. So, um, um, uh, so the town is full of people. Uh, we get that, that idea. And um, Moraine's kind of just asking the, the innkeeper a lot about things going on, um, asking about the children of light. Um, you know, and, and he claims, you know, that, that, uh, that they're, they say they're there because they say an Aes Sedai is in town, but the innkeeper knows there's no Aes Sedai in town. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Little does he know. He yeah. said, don't you worry. They've tried it before. There's no Aes Sedai in Barillon. And how do you pronounce it? How you say it? It's big. You got it right, Barillon, yeah. Barillon. And the governor knows that the white clothes think if they show an Aes Sedai, some woman they claim is an Aes Sedai, people will let all of them inside the wall. So there we go right away. We we know. Well, we know. But um, that city feels like it's fully protected and didn't have to worry about that danger. So it's pretty interesting. Sure. Yeah, and, and with that one line where he mentions, uh, you know, their claim to an Aes Sedai being in town, I put a little asterisk there. Because I have gained some respect for Land and his his planning abilities, right? So it made me think uh, maybe she is not the Aes Sedai that they suspect. So there might be another one floating around. And and I only say that to give credit to Land. Like so far, the way they've traveled, they've really covered their tracks. So the suspicion might be a another Aes Sedai that's floating around. Sure. So. Um... Also, Marine asked the innkeeper if Min is still there. M I N is pronounced Min, um, and uh, and you know, Rain goes off to talk to this person that that we're going to meet in in a, in a few pages or so. Actually, I think next chapter is when we actually officially yeah. meet Min, but uh, we'll talk about that in a second when that interaction comes. But then the boys go off to get a bath. I mean, it's been a whole entire, I guess, a couple of weeks since they left Emmonsfield at this point because I was a week traveling last time. Um, on the road, so they, they're just for need of a bath. Uh, probably they probably stink. Um, I know from personal experience that you know, uh, I, I think I mentioned this before, I was on a sailboat um, offshore for a long period of time, uh, did, did long crossings, and um, there was one stint where I think it was actually almost two months without a bath. And <laughs> let me tell you, when you take that bath after two months without bathing, it is the most glorious thing in the entire world. Right. Uh, <laughs> There's no way in the world. Oh, you smell so bad. You don't even notice the smell, but I can't imagine like anybody smelling us how bad we smelled. <laughs> but, but, you know, I mean, in the middle of the ocean, there's not really, we, we can't waste like drinking water on bathing. That's just not going to happen. Um, the only bath you can get is we like, lather up with soap and we jump in the ocean, which still leaves that salt grime all over you. you technically, you're clean, but you don't feel clean. Um, the ocean water in the middle of the, in the, middle of the ocean it's really clean, actually. It's not polluted as nearly as much as it's close to like coastal towns, but um, uh, you still feel 
super dirty. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's definitely nice. Um, I, I, I don't know if Ian can attest to that. I know you've been deployed, so I'm sure you've had your fair sense of being downrange or whatever, not being able to bathe as much as you want to. Um, yeah. so. <laughs> I will say that the Army, logistically, they try to be really good to you and, and get you in the shower as often as you can. But during the surge of 07 in Iraq, because we're moving around so much and we're going to these places that we're just getting stood up, I had about a two-week stretch. But that's two weeks, uh, you know, full kit, full battle rattle, in over 100 degrees so when that shower finally hit it's you have to take a double shower because the first wash you're getting that first layer of grime off and then you just got to start over because it's you're super nasty so I, you beat me on time but i think mine was almost equally as disgusting <laughs> i'm sure it was <laughs> well see on a boat i just sit there so i'm not actually actively doing anything to actually get sweaty <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, so they get into the bath, the attendant start the, the bath attendants there and he starts asking them questions like, is there trouble down country? Cause he sees their weapons and swords, uh, the sword and the ax and everything like that. And, and, uh, and, and Matt immediately starts to just talk about Trollocs like Matt is <laughs> and everyone's like, shut up, Matt, you know, <laughs> you know, I can't figure out in my mind if Matt is dense or just that carefree and, and bold. <laughs> Part of me wants I to believe. Him, I take him as overly confident, like he doesn't care. <laughs> part of me wants to believe there's more to Matt, and there's part of me that's like, this dude has got something going on in his mind. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, and uh, and and they're like, you know, don't tell Tom stories. You know, it's Tom tells it better. Quit trying to act like the, the Glee man. You know, talk about Trollocs and 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 Land busted. Obviously, I think he's been listening because he knows obviously what's what the conversation is going on. Tells the bath tent to scram, get out of there, and starts scolding <laughs> Matt for talking too much. Just like, are you an idiot? We told you not that dark friends are everywhere. You know, don't bring up this stuff at all. Um, so I don't know if your thoughts about that Lance interaction, but obviously, uh, um, there's something to that. The children are light, obviously, in town, and they they talk about that a little bit. That if they hear something like this, you're good as you might as well just convict yourself. But yeah, um, to, yeah. to Ian's point, like he mentioned the potential of other Aes Sedai, which we, we kind of, it's been alluded that there's something going on in the borderlands and um, is it Saldea? Uh, Saldea, yeah. Yeah, there, there's stuff happening in Saldea and there's stuff going on, uh, which I guess is part of the borderlands mm-hmm. involving the Trollocs and it's a strange thing from the mountains. So there's never a definitive, this is what's going on. But that's for that, oh, Trollocs. Well, let me tell you about Trollocs, um, which is Matt, of course, buttoning in like, I'm the, I know it all. Let me tell you what it's really about. <laughs> right. And, and Lance um, says, you know, there's always Trollocs in the Borderlands. Um, you know, that, that's no new news. Um, you know, that's near the Blight. Uh, the Borderlands are up north um, n- near the Blight where the Trollocs are from. So. Yeah. But when, you, when you've got a group of people from the Two River, um, Two rivers, excuse me, talking about Trollocs, then you know there there it raises suspicion almost instantly. So I love how everybody else tried to cover it up, even though Matt couldn't quite catch on. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So Alan, I'm I made a note here that uh, if if we have listeners that are helping to put this show together on Amazon, I I hope they include this. Just like you said, I picture Land uh, sitting outside the doorway listening in. And the way I imagine it, he listened to the whole conversation because this guy uh, that's working, helping them set up the baths, is that Era? How do you say that? Yeah, I think so. He's, I, 
I, I don't think he comes back into the story, so I don't know how to pronounce his name. But yeah, yeah. not super important. <laughs> but uh, again, from a civil affairs standpoint, uh, you know, when you go into a new place like this, yeah, you're going to set up meetings with like the village elders and the politicians, and the business owners. But you're also going to have teams of people that go around and talk to people like this because that's mm-hmm. where you get the real information. And these folks, this guy, I would imagine he doesn't get paid a whole lot. So he might, as a side job, you know, make money on selling info. So when he has people like this coming in from out of town, he's very intentional in how he tells his story and how he tries to sucker these guys into telling their story. Sure. Which kind of brings Lance kind of anger down on them. He's like blood and ashes, which we know is their favorite curses. Uh, you had better remember the dark one has eyes and ears wherever you are or excuse me, wherever you least expect. So that kind of goes to your point, Ian. He definitely believes that like you do not know who you can trust. He said, and if the children of the light heard Trollocs were after you, they'd be burning to get their hands on you. So clearly he's just trying to give them the warning. Like, look, we got to keep this stuff on the down low. Sure. Yeah, big thing. So yeah, so they get done with the bath. They go outside. They, this is where your first description of men. So Moraine's talking to a slender woman at the end of the hall. It, um, you know, it kind of gives a description of men there. Um, you know, dark hair. Her uh, was cut. Sh- her hair was short and wearing man's a man's shirt and trousers and boys' clothes. Um, so that that's the first description of men. But it kind of cuts right to the eating time. So they go. And to have this, what seems like a feast at this point after they've been just eating kind of dry bread and, and cheese for the last week. And, um, and obviously tension's still strong with Egwene and Rand there and, uh, and, and kind of get a little bit of a, some, some more banter there. Well, yeah, that you get that internal dialogue, which is highlighted by the, the italics. Essentially, he was going to apologize, but Egwene stiffened and turned her back before he could get a word in. So he's like, all right, then if she wants to be like that, there's nothing I can do. So he didn't even really make a wholehearted attempt to even give his apology. This just goes to show how inept he is at dealing with women. <laughs> because at the end of the day, you're always wrong. So you might as well go ahead and fess up to it as early as possible so it doesn't fester for longer than it needs to. <laughs> sure. So you're, you're nicer than me because I read that. And obviously, because of the way she reacted, she knew Rand was going to try and continue the conversation. She might not have known an apology was coming, but he was approaching her. Uh, I think he, they said he opened his mouth to apologize. So she knew he was about to speak. And then she gave him the cold shoulder, which I guess is how some I won't say women, but some people communicate with that body language. But it's frustrating because there was an opportunity to kind of resolve that, and she just immediately put the kibosh on it. And then, you know, they start talking. Uh, Lan, one of my favorite uh, lines from this chapter, uh, you know, Gwen um, asked, do you suspect the in- in- innkeeper? Um, you know, if you expect him, why stay here? And Lan has that classic line. I think this is my favorite line from these two is, you know, I suspect him no more than anyone else. But till we reach uh, Tarvalan, I suspect everyone. And there, I only suspect half, um, which at first Rand thinks is a joke and then realizes that he's not even joking about that. <laughs> I, I think that little line is very significant, though. I underlined it because 
Land may not know this, but Rand already has this internal struggle of who to trust. And we talked about the dreams before that might have been some sort of warning about what he's actually going to find when they get there. And then one of the two people that he's trusting his life with to travel there is saying, well, even in this place, there's only about half of them that I really trust. So that's just going to stir more doubt in Rand, I believe. Sure. And we get a little bit more about what's going on south with Loghain. Uh, now we finally got the name of the false dragon or the dragon, whatever he is. Um, Loghain's the guy down south um, that apparently he was, he was victorious. And there's much different rumors as far as what might have happened because Land's kind of given his news about what he's heard out in the common room. Um, so we finally get a name. Uh, and um, and that name will come up again later this these chapters. But um, just uh, yeah, did- I've got to ask here. Hey, uh, Chris, did you underline or take note of uh, when Rand was talking about it and he said Land sounded almost as if he knew him? Yes, I did. So I, I, d- I didn't really. I don't have too much to go in depth on that, but I know this author doesn't throw stuff out there randomly. Uh, and Rand seems to be kind of perceptive about this stuff. So I'm, I'm curious now what kind of relationship hmm. there is. Sure. Yeah. And they don't know what happened to the Aes Sedai. There's different stories. You know, some say they were all killed. Some say none were killed. No one really knows what, what exactly happened down there, but obviously he was the victor of this battle uh, down South. And that's all we really know right now, as far as what's going on down there. Um, yeah, like they, they discredit half of the conversation earlier on. They just say, I've never stopped at an inn where half the maids have not listened at doors and spent more time gossiping than making beds. Come, let us be seated before our milk gets cold. Like, they're automatically saying, like, the, the level of honesty and trustworthiness of the messages that they're receiving is already belittled before they even hear it because of who they get it from. So it's really interesting just to have that, that idea or those dynamics it's like, you know, we don't trust them and we definitely can't trust them because it's all gossip anyway. But here's sure. what I gather. So because they, they, they did bring to the attention, like out of everything I heard, here's a summary of everything that is conclusive. Here are the things that everybody said consistently. Sounds good. So, yeah. So, you know, they kind of end the the. the the conversation with uh, Moraine tell them that, you know, we're just going to stay here for two nights and then we'll be on our way. And Tom's like, you're going to let these country folks loose in the city. You know, you guys are crazy. Like, <laughs> like, and, and we kind of end there and, um, and everybody goes up to go to sleep because everyone obviously is, and Rand just wants to go, go to bed at this point. Um, he thinks, wait, wait. Uh, go ahead. Wait, wait, I got to drop some distrust on uh, Moraine. So remember they don't lie, but it's far from telling the truth. So she's telling them, yeah, we need to rest because it was a long journey, but she's got more plans there or, or she suspects they need more time there to do something. It's not just about rest. There, there's something going on. Sure. That's a good prediction. Um, so, yeah. So um, that Rand goes upstairs, goes to sleep. He kind of thinks about going to the common room to listen to Tom. He says, you know what? I just want to go to sleep. So he goes upstairs and calls asleep. And then all of a sudden we get this little, break in the in the page where you have a little you know break where obviously you're shifting gears and all of a sudden things get weird because we're in a dream <laughs> so Before like i told you, you guys- there, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and say it Ian. like we keep going at moraine but she's also probably pretty tired too she probably didn't have the power she probably can't admit it but she probably doesn't have the energy to continue in her travel she probably needs to recharge her batteries 
So as evil as she may be, she, her powers are definitely <laughs> limited. So I'm but. still skeptical. We're <laughs> <laughs> going on to our dream. Yeah, so going, going on to our dream. So like I said last time, whenever you like start reading and you don't understand anything that's going on, you're probably dreaming. So <laughs> um, it, this um, it gets really weird really fast. Um, so, um, you know, all of a sudden he's in this dungeon type place. Um, you know, it, it, it's like, still in dank. I love that. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, it's, you know, stone walls, still dank. Um, you know, he describes the scene when he, he comes into a room and looks out on the balcony and the sky's all clouded with like, looks like something like uh, apocalyptic, you know, as far as like, I could just picture like, uh, not 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 worldly or not nothing you've ever seen before with like uh you know red in the sky like fire in the sky and, and clouds and, and and something out of, you know you've seen probably in movies and stuff like that before like a definitely a, a a very eerie scene um and his thoughts are fading and he starts talking you know he thinks about this how thirsty he is and he hears his drip and he's trying to find the water and he can't find it anywhere um and like i said he goes into that chamber and, and things are weird in this chamber too like there's a big fireplace uh, that's going and the chamber looks wrong and we out of the corner's eyes the stones look like like their faces and yeah go ahead well i was gonna say like i again being the guy who really loves the the literature and the way that the author really puts the scene together i like the the striated clouds and black and gray reds and oranges streamed by as the storm winds drove them weaving and interweaving endlessly no one could ever have seen a sky like that it could not exist. So that's him already uh, determining that he's in a dream. And then, like you said, the thirst, he said he licked his lips and wished he had something to drink. He was awfully thirsty, dry as dust thirsty. It was the dripping sound that decided him. With nothing to choose but accept his thirst, he started towards the steady plunk, plunk, plunk. Like, it, it, those, this, the imagery was one thing like that just really captivates the mind. But the fact that he's explaining that he's thirsty in this dream and he seems to have no control over the thirst makes me wonder how much this is an actual, is it his dream or is he entering a parallel world or is he entering into like, it, it's almost like away from a dreamscape. Like you're supposed to have a certain level of control and, if you know it's a dream, then why can't you make the water happen? And then going further, it said flames roared on the heath like a forged fire with the bellows pumping, but gave no heat. So talking about the the fireplace and how here we've got, you know, just this awesome fire going, but you get no heat. It's like, what's the purpose? Why this imagery? What is being depicted and why? They said a single mirror hung on the wall, but that was not ordinary at all. When he looked at it, he saw only a blur where his reflection should have been. Everything else in the room was shown true, but not him. Yeah. So why, why is it that he is a blur? What is he in an alternate world where he's, or is he in the world where the dark one is trapped? Like, is there like, why would why is this the way he chose to be seen here? Like I just mm-hmm. so many questions are coming from the imagery that is gathered from yeah. this. Sure. So I locked in. Uh, unfortunately, once I realized it was a dream, 
instead of just in, enjoying the imagery, like, like you're really good at pointing out, Chris, I should have enjoyed that a little bit more, but instead I'm just searching for clues to try and figure out where is he? Because I, it's more than just a simple dream. And you already went into many of the clues as to why it's not like a normal dream, but I locked in on the mirror part. Um, where he said his reflection, or it was only a blur where his reflection should have been. And it made me think even to our prologue and the person that shimmered in and shimmered out. Say that. <laughs> and sure. So then now I'm wondering, I, so you, you, you touched on it. Like, is this some sort of void between times, some transitional space where the dark one is trapped? Is it, is, is this, you know, you talk about the long hallway with all the doors and everything like that. Is this how the Dark One is able to move between uh, between time or maybe parallel universes? I don't know how hmm. far down this rabbit hole we go. So obviously to me, we keep saying dream, but gosh, it's so much more than that. It's, sure. it's a, it's a, I, I want to say physical place, but it, it's an alternate location. It's some sort of conduit here. I, I don't know. Oh, okay. Okay. So yeah, um, it could be, um, uh, obviously things are a little different here. Um, uh, we'll get to that in later in this chapter, but, um, so all of a sudden he sees a man that's standing by the fireplace and, um, and you know, he looks at this guy and, and, and almost like he recognizes him. The guy turns around and says, we meet once again, face to face, you know, like, so the guy's saying like, we've met before, um, his eyes and mouth turned to fire and Rand backs up and tries to run out of the room and runs back right back into the room again. Like if you can, uh, you know, pictures like one of those, you know, funny, silly, uh, you, know, um, uh, you know, houses or whatever, like almost like a horror movie or whatever, where you're trying to run out and keep <laughs> right into the same room over and over again. And this is really similar to the last dream he had where he kept on turning the corner and kept on seeing the White Tower over and over again, no matter which way he ran. It was the same thing. It, it never changed. And this is very, very similar here where he backs out of the room and, He's back into the same room, and he can't, he can't get out of this room anymore. Like, he's trapped. Well, yeah, he even says this is a dream. He said as he straightened. Behind him, he heard the clicking of a door closing. It's some kind of nightmare. Mm-hmm. And then the man asked him, is it a dream? Does it matter? Once again, for a moment, his mouth and eyes became pier holes into a furnace that seemed to stretch forever. His voice did not change. He did not seem to notice it happening at all. So, and then Rand begins to question himself, like, this is a dream. Like, it has to be. But but is it? <laughs> sure. So he offers Rand a drink. Um, and drink, and Rand, you know, is thirsty. I mean, just said that a couple of paragraphs ago. And, uh, and uh, you know, picks up the goblet and just seems like something's wrong. So, um you know, he's about to take a sip and puts the goblet down. It's not that thirsty. And, and you can see disappointment in this, this mysterious man. Like, he's obviously upset about this, which begs the question, what do you think was happening there? Um, <laughs> and I don't think it was as easy as poison. Like, I mean, that's, that's a cop-out. I think it's more than that. <laughs> I, I think, like, that the wine is symbolizing the willingness to take what's being offered. Sure. And yeah, just tempting, tempting him. See if mm-hmm. he goes for it. Sure. And he finally asks him, you know, who are you? And that's where you get the name Balsamon, um, Balsamon, which we've heard that name before. That was the banner that was the Trollocs were marching under um, to Minethrin, uh when Moraine told her yep. story. So um, 
one of the names of the Dark One. Um, so obviously now Rain's extremely freaking out because this guy just <laughs> named himself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and he says some cryptic things here. He starts going into, says, the eye of the world will not serve you. So that's the first time we hear of the eye of the world. I mean, obviously it's the name of the book. So you heard about it when you read the cover. But we, until this point, you know, we're, we're 200 pages in, there's no, been no mention of the eye of the world. Now we actually hear it. And I, you know, I, I wanted to get you guys' thoughts on on it and see what you, you know, now that's mentioned, uh, what do you think this is? Well, before we even go that far, I, I like the, the intensity of the first question of, are you the one you yeah. cannot hide yeah. it from me forever. You cannot h- even hide yourself from me, not on the highest mountain or in the deepest K. I know you down to the smallest hair. Like that's, brings me back to the like the reference in in the biblical sense of like god knows his creation down to every single hair so it's this man saying that he is the creator of you know our hero here or is he saying like is this like a philosophical thought like well, what do we know or what does he know about Rand that Rand doesn't know and, and again it was a question and then it became a statement so like for me, there, there's there's too much to that very thought. And the fact that he said it with suddenly and almost intensely, like, yeah. clearly there's something you, to that you, statement. You know what I got when I read that? Are you the one? <laughs> so first I, I start thinking, okay, so he doesn't know. He didn't declare him that he's the one. But he's asking, is he the one? So our bad guys still don't know who the one is. If it's one of our uh, guys traveling together or uh, I started thinking about it more Matrix style, like there's been many Neos and Neos come through thousands of times. But the one at the end, he's the Neo that that finally breaks. through. <laughs> you know, anyways, I started thinking sure. about it from that direction. So anyways, if sure. I'm alone in that one, whatever, I no. don't care. No, I'm there with you. Of course, I go to the straight up Voldemort ideology because I'm a Harry Potter geek and fanatic. So, but anyway, <laughs> yeah. go, going on to, did they tell you the eye of the world would serve you? Who are they? Did they like? Does he mean the eye to die? Is there another they that he's contemplating? Sure. So, what glory or power is there for a puppet? The strings that move you have been centuries weaving. So here we have this idea of the weaving coming into play and the thought that you know his fate is being guided he said mm-hmm. your father was chosen by the white tower like a stallion roped and led to his business your mother was no more than a broad mare to their plans and those plans led to your death so is this talking about Rand's actual mother and father is there a mix-up in uh, Bialzaman's thought process what does what could Rand learn here if he was really thinking with the frame of mind that I would be like? It's like, all right, well, what can I learn from this dude before I wake up? Like, in sure. case this isn't a dream and this is all real. So, yeah, and he goes, he goes on the next paragraph or the next sentence to talk about the Arblin seat, which we heard Moraine mentioned last time. Um, you know, to Egwene, uh, to Egwene, saying that um, that that maybe one day you'll become the Arblin seat. Um, as well. So, you know, I said that I'm going to see will use you until you're consumed just like they used and they listed a bunch of different names and, and the last name he, he listed was Logan, who we just Logan. had heard. Yeah. Right. Uh, just as they're using Logan too. 
Um, so I don't know what you guys are thinking about, what, what you guys think about that. So um, um, I, I just assumed they were all uh, previous false dragons. Okay. Uh, I yeah. don't know if I'm right on that, but that was my first thought. So. Sure. Well, I, I was there with you, but then what's interesting is this, uh, how do you pronounce the seat? And the, the Armalin. The Armalin seat before it was talked about when it came to Egwene becoming in charge of maybe the Aes Sedai. So is there an implication that the Aes Sedai is using these false dragons to create chaos or trouble in the world to help kind of manipulate their control in the situation there? Like, because they're supposed mm. to be separate entities. So right. it's like, you know, did he just kind of spill the beans a little bit? Sure. Yeah, maybe. Um, you know, it says, you know, obviously. The that, best that's... way to keep power is to create chaos that you can control. Sure. So if the okay. Aes Sedai kind of want to keep their influence, then the best thing to do would be to create these false dragons that could go and cause some chaos and shake things up a little bit, but then they would come in and kind of swoop in and be the saviors, which then kind of goes to the whole idea of Moraine being a little bit evil, but at the same time, she's not going straight to the other eyes to die, so it kind of makes me think, like, what's her angle? What is the 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 angle in general for all of them? Maybe she is trying to avoid them, too. Maybe she's got her own purpose for these guys, you know? There's so many more mysteries being created. <laughs> all right, well, Check this out, Chris. In the same vein, um, it's not like Rand went to sleep and he was like, all right, I'm going to go to this dream world and see what I can find out. Um, Balzaman came to him and created this space to communicate to Rand. And if we think this guy's up to no good and we don't like him, then we got to assume that he's evil and he's intentionally trying to create doubt or sell lies because – I don't care what story you read, like the, the greatest weapon um, evil has on us is creating doubt and selling lies. And so we, we have to try and look at that from his perspective. And what is he trying to gain by communicating with Rand like this? And that he, he flat out comes out and says, oh, shoot, where was it? I underlined it. Uh, Rand talks about the end of time and he mocks him. And he says, the death of time will bring me power such as you could not dream of, Worm. And you know, I believe him when he says this. So if that's his goal um, and he's trying to get Rand to doubt all these different factions that might be trying to help him, I mean, still, we're not in a position to know who to believe at this point. Sure. It, and Rand's like, well, you can't be the dark one. The dark one's bound in Shegul. Um, and he immediately snaps back. Full life never been bound and starts going to all these stories about things that he's been doing for the last thousands of years. You know, he talks about, uh, um, you know, he was there with Luce Theron, the prologue, uh, you know, told him, whispered his ear to kill his, his kid, which named him True and, uh, and, and actually was the one who healed him, uh, which we, we saw that in the prologue as well. So mm-hmm. he can, he was, you know, in his, in his precious, pulled out his precious power. And a thousand years ago, he sent the Trollocs down south and they ravaged the world for 300 years and then, uh, and, and shattered the nations and whispered in Arthur Hawkwing's ear, ear um, which we, we're, we're another character we hear about. Um, um, I'm not sure if he's been mentioned yet or not, but that's another past figure that, you know, turned the ice, him against the Aes Sedai and 
uh, you know, he's listening to all these historical events saying that, like, you know, I've never been trapped. I've, I've been walking this earth for a long time. So, so the question is, you know, is this the dark one? Is this just all in Rand's head? Um, I think we can kind of probably can't answer those questions yet, but uh, <laughs> um, you can start to speculate a little bit about what's, what, what is all this. Or is it like a manifestation of power? Like we know that the dark one is tied connectly to, you know, the, the, the power of the source, but the, the, the tainted power, like, is this a moment of Rand subconsciously tapping into the power and then getting residual from, like, and this is probably way off the mark, but maybe that's the connection. Maybe Rand can't tap into the power. Maybe that's how um, the dark one is able to tap into Rand. Like maybe there's a connection there. Who knows? Sure. You know, I, I think you're onto something because at the same time when these dreams are starting and he has this very intense dream uh, where uh, Balzaman reaches out to him shortly thereafter, uh, and we'll get into this, but he has that interaction with the uh, the three children of the light dudes walking around and it starts talking about how this instinct inside of him is just starting to take over, uh, which mm-hmm. also might be this this power that he has the ability to tap into and like you said there's a residual evil that that comes with that Mm -hmm. possibly so yeah so you know he goes this whole entire story uh uh, baltimore does and then a rat appears where the goblet was a giant rat and um and he starts to curve his finger and the rat starts to contort backwards and backwards and i really uh, you can picture this in your head i mean this would be super freaky you know he just snaps the rats back you know, uh, it's kind of like this really, really scary horror, horror scene type moment. Um, and, um, and Rand's kind of like, well, anything can happen in a dream. And, and he turns, of course, his finger to, to Rand and starts to then bend Rand. And that's when Rand wakes up. So I don't know if you guys want to talk about the rat scene, but um, obviously we'll talk about that a little bit more next chapter. But, um, uh, but your first thoughts when you read this the first time. Well, before we go that far, my favorite quote of the book, you will serve me or you will dance on the ice that I string until you die. And then you will be mine. The dead belong to me. So mm-hmm. there's this inevitability that's being pointed out to Rand. So I kind of want to just like think on that and kind of keep that as like prominent in the sense that the dark one feels like he's going to win one way or the other. It's just, you know, how long will it be before I get what I want? And that goes to that concept of time really doesn't matter to him. He's, but even though he says that, he seems very impatient because he keeps visiting Rand in the dreams. So, sure. And then we get on to the rats, which is yeah. interesting to so- say the least. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think yeah. It, i think at discord ran our, our chris you're saying i i, you know, I love this dream sequence and i was like really i didn't think it was that awesome <laughs> it was pretty well, cool for me it was that imagery because i could envision like going through the hallways and hearing the plunk 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 and then opening the one door and going in and seeing this graphic scene and mm-hmm. then you know the dark one coming at me and then coming out and then like running across the hall and throwing the door open, then boom, he's right there again. It's like, holy shit, like I'm screwed. Sure. I, could, I can see all of that in my mind. Uh, like uh, again, being one of those old um, anime fans, it kind of reminds me of um, a scene in, oh man, which anime was it? I'm sorry. 
Inuyasha had a scene like that. And then uh, I can't think of the more recent one that I watched. Anyway, there's some um, good group, Bleach. Bleach had a scene like that where they were the the main character. If you're an anime fan, you know what I'm talking about. But the main character entered into a dream state world, and he just couldn't escape the inevitability of coming up against the the bad guy. So sure. <laughs> so yeah. Also, so, also like how. Um... Balsamon gives the the last warning like oh by the way uh feel free to tell the Aes Sedai or White Tower whoever about this dream and what I told you because you know pretty much you got two options uh they believe you and help you or they kill you because <laughs> they're trying to manipulate you and now they're worried about me talking to you so yeah. Rand is screwed yeah so yeah so when they try to break his back Rand wakes up and he thinks about tell, uh, asking Moraine about it but just decides you know try to get back to sleep and, and that kind of ends this chapter and, um, you know where he kind of uh, gets at least some some non-dream nightmare sleep <laughs> and, and that, 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 that ends the, the, the chapter so thoughts or anything that you want to go back and talk about with this chapter anything we missed or I do like the last line where he says he huddled under his blanket, trying to find the calmness of the void, the way Tam had taught him. Uh, and I kind of hope we circle around to that um, and find out more about Tam's history and and what his perspective and background is, and, and these things that he taught Rand. Sure. And what the void is. Sure. All right, moving on to chapter fifteen: strangers and friends. So. Um, like always, we're going to start with a symbol. We have a new one this time. So our symbol this time is a sun, um, obviously. So um, I don't know if you guys have thoughts around this or what you think this symbolizes. Or I think for me, um, it's indicative of the children of light. Sure. I think we have our first major interaction with them in this chapter. And so it's only appropriate to give them a symbol. I could be completely wrong, but that's my thought for now. Sure. Yeah, I was between that or remember we had that symbol before that was kind of like two suns that were split by the horn. Um, and this is just one side of it. So it could be the children of light. But then as I read further, I mentioned it uh, we were in the last chapter when Rand has that confrontation with him and he <laughs> just felt this like something overcoming inside of him. So maybe this is more representative of the power inside of Rand. But I, I'd narrow it down to those two options. Sure. Okay. So, um, kind of going right in. So, uh, Rand wakes up from his his and you know uh, sleep, uh, still kind of thinking about his dreams and thinking about how weird it was. Uh, he realizes it's late. And he slept in and he's kind of beat himself up for it. Um, everyone's gone. Um, and notices that Land took his sword with him. So he says, "You know, I'm missing the whole city. I need to get out of here." So. Um, you know, takes the sword with them and sets out um, and goes downstairs. And the innkeeper is having an argument with the cook. So we'll kind of start that scene right there. Um, uh, the innkeeper is complaining uh, to the cook about uh, the, her cats killing too many rats and the people are complaining about it. And she threatens to quit. And, you know, after the innkeeper leaves, Rand starts to eat and you get to hear a little bit more about what happened to these rats. So, so I'll say, uh, before getting into that, when he was first getting ready to leave the room, uh, Rand, good decision making here. He's not just like thinking to himself, should I take my sword, whatever. But he, he notices that Land took his. 
and he thought he would take the older man's lead. Such a simple line, but that type of decision making, you know, I, I've given Rand a lot of crap in the past, but I got to give him props here. I mean, trying to read what he can from the situation and be as prepared as he can for something he's never experienced before. So I'll, I'll give him some props there. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I understand that. There's also that direct contradiction of telling himself it was not because he had often daydreamed about walking the streets of a real city wearing a sword. He belted it on and tossed his cloak over his shoulder like a sack. So it's still that that play of childishness that the author mm-hmm. gives us a clue in us. So it's like, yeah, part of it's because he realizes that Land took his. And then there's the other part that's like, eh, maybe I'm taking it because I want to be a cool guy. <laughs> right and that's okay for right now yeah so like i'll say Going yeah so that conversation about the um about the the cook um first off i love how it's very clear who runs the show here <laughs> right we're <laughs> gonna have her way and, and that's just it period um but then going on to the um, the fact that the cook was very adamant about how her cat's normally very clean about its kills. Yeah, she's she's talking about says so not like it's not like uh, uh, her cat to, to leave his handiwork behind, um, and their bats and their backs broken too. It's just just mm-hmm. not like the, the you know, series a good cat, um, and you know Rand's mid mid bite. Has food in his mouth, and he says the food just turns to ash when he hears yeah. the rats' bats were broke or backs were broken. Mechanically not tasting anything, not listening to what the cook said. Dead rats with their backs broken. He finished his breakfast hastily, stammered his thanks, and hurried out. He had to talk to someone. Right. So, how freaked out would you be if you just had this dream <laughs> where where this guy claiming to be Balsam on the Dark One? Um, break some bat, some rats back in your dream. And you wake up and there's rats everywhere with broken backs. <laughs> yeah, so this is pretty intense. Um, of the first couple of pages, I had no notes except for when she mentions the rats and their bats being broken, and I just underlined it and I wrote dream, and then oh my god, after that. Because- <laughs> Uh, you know, we were talking in the last chapter about what could the dream mean? Like, is he just trying to cast doubt? How much truth is there? Well, all of that we can guess about. But what we know right now is that this, uh, what is it? Balsamar? Balsamon. 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 Has the ability to uh, cross over that plane, at least to some extent, and cause physical harm or damage to a living being. That's huge. That's a huge threat that Rand now has to consider as sure. he's going through these dreams and deciding who he's going to talk to and tell about it. That's a small thing. Sure. Then from there, we have to move forward and we're just we're moving towards Tom, which is very right. interesting. That's the person that Rand keeps going back to because, you know, all along in my mind, he's, you know, this Gleeman's going to play some big role. And Rand really leans on him a lot more, I think, because the fact that he's got his stories to tell, but that he also has like an understanding and he's kind of guarding the boys, or at least has been guarding them for a while. So, yeah, you know, kind of gave him that that Gandalf 
ish type role. And like here and there, he kind of plays it. And then here and there, he just, I, I can't figure him out. He just confuses sure. me a little bit. But we, I find it very interesting how the author goes back to um, the stories that Tom, that Tom is pl- talking about. Mm-hmm. He goes specifically back to one about um, the great hunt of the horn rides forth, rides to seek the horn of is it Valor? Val- Valier. Valier, that will summon the heroes of the ages back from the grave to battle for the light. Like the fact that he kind of trails, he starts the story, he trails with that, and then he just like moves forward. So for me, uh-huh. there's something behind this horn that we're going to have to definitely pay close attention to um, just because it's been highlighted a couple times now in the book. Um, sure. And it's meant to stand out. Sure. So I'm interested to see what that's all about as we go along. Sure. And, um, you know, Rand goes to talk to Tom, but Tom's performing. Like you said, he's doing, he's doing his, uh, uh, he's talking about the great, the, the hunt for the horn. Uh, is what he's performing and kind of gives a description of how Tom likes to perform and talks about the different types of chants, which we don't really get into that, that much. But I always thought that was really interesting how, um, you know, there's, there's common, there's play, and then there's high chant. Um, and it, you know, a high chance reserved for the nobles only, you know, and, and it, it, it kind of gives me this picture of, of, of kind of medieval society. And I have no idea whether that was like it or not, but obviously you had plays for the masses you know, for the commoners, and then you would have you know certain stories that were performed only in royal courts, and obviously the way that those stories were portrayed, probably by a bard back in medieval times or even Renaissance, even Renaissance times, was different than the way you deliver them. So I, I just always like that little the, the way that Robert Jordan paints that. Yeah, it is pretty cool. So Rand says, "Well, Tom's performing, so I got to tell someone. I heard someone still upstairs. You know, they said that." Uh, that someone wasn't feeling well and someone didn't leave, so Rand decides to go talk to Perrin um, and then finds out another freaky thing. Perrin had the same dream and, <laughs> apparently, <laughs> and apparently so did Matt. So, um, you know, he says, I, he said, well, he, he can't confirm that Matt did, but Perrin said that uh, I think Matt did when I brought it up. I could just tell that he was, he was started making fun of me because he was nervous uh, that, that Perrin suspected that Matt had it too. You know what I'm really wondering? Did either did all three of them get challenged with the cup, and did anyone drink it? Yeah, they didn't ask that. I was wondering that, but they didn't get into that in these chapters. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, a, you know, a... one out of three, one of them probably drank it, and what does it mean? <laughs> drink it? Like, what's what's gonna happen to him? <laughs> if any, look, if any of them were gonna drink it, it'd have been Matt. Matt, Matt would have been like, know. I'm thirsty. There's something to drink on the fucking table. Give me that. All right, dream over. I'm going to go check out the tent. It's like, either that or parents with a little pussy, for lack of better words, excuse me, he's a little pussy, and he's like desperate to have the drink. And he, because like, though he seems to be like the, in my mind, the bigger one, you know, he's the blacksmith boy. Like, yeah. The way, like, he seems like the biggest bitch of the whole group so far. I hate to say it that way because I was really rooting for him. He's got an axe and everything. He's a large man. So I'm like, here we go. <laughs> well, and, and maybe that's why he's struggling so bad the day after having the dream. You know, Rand's eventually able to get up. Matt clearly wasn't too bothered by it at all. But Perrin is struggling. So maybe he took a swig. I don't know. 
<laughs> yeah, maybe. And, and 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 we might we might talk about all that later. There's there's actually tons and tons of theories around these, these dreams, especially in later books. So we'll we'll come back to this chapter again and again throughout these next fifteen books. So just uh, put, put that put uh, <laughs> yeah, put that in the back of your mind, and we'll we'll, we'll revisit. Um, obviously. So as we will, a lot of things, cause there's a lot of foreshadowing, as I've told you before that Robert Jordan does. So there'll be a ton of stuff that, that you remember when we talked about like 10 books ago. Yeah. Well, here's where. Right. <laughs> oh, awesome. Yeah. So, so uh, something yeah. I think we did learn here, um, or a good hint to that. If all three of them had, let's say it's the exact same dream. Let's assume that for a moment. Then, uh, Balsamon, doesn't know which one of these kids is the one because he he's searching out all of them so mm-hmm. as much as they don't know our bad guy doesn't know either so yeah that's something to think about as well and uh probably look for clues and things like that along the way so um so after that you know Rand tries to convince Perrin to come out we have a whole city to see uh Perrin's like i'm too sick i'm not going anywhere and Rand's like well then i'm going out so Rand leaves and and he's utterly amazed by how many people there are. Like, I mean, he's just overwhelmed. Um, and when he first, just by walking outside, um, and he walks into the stable yard and he starts to feel sick and he sees the stable hand and he thinks the stable hand's a, a dark friend. Um, you know, anybody is, it's that guy. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> um, and then, uh, you know, he runs into men. So this is when we get our, uh, our first really interaction with men. Uh, she comments on, on Rant's sword. Um, and let's just talk it's about a shepherd yeah. with a hair on Mark's sword said a low woman's voice. That's almost enough to make me believe anything. What trouble are you in down country boy? So like that shows like how important the sword is. Like, I just want to know what it is about this sword that makes it so special. And I want to know why he didn't ask men. Like that would have been my first question. It was like, what do you know about my sword? <laughs> Like, <laughs> like okay. I want to know more about my my dad. So you tell me about the sword. I learn more about my dad. So you know, there's a missed opportunity. So I'm going to smack Rand's hand for that one. Yeah, sure. And, and I'll I'll tell you, I was tempted before when we talked about the sword when Land looked at it. But after this, if there was ever a point so far that I wanted to Google where I find out more about this sword and just read ahead and then not tell y'all. Like I, I thought about it long and hard because there's there's got to be some fantastic uh, story behind it. So I just I didn't do it, but I thought about it. Really <laughs> sure, um, and, and and yeah, that that's something definitely that uh, that, and it just to let you know, there'll be many things throughout the book that are gonna be like this. So <laughs> yeah, I believe awesome. it. Um, so what do you guys think about the description of mid? So they kind of go into description again, obviously. Once again, boy's coat and breeches, breeches, a uh, little older than he was, uh, dark eyes, bigger than Egwene's. Um, you know, obviously just ran, you have a description of this girl and, um, um, you know, and she introduces herself um, and, and kind of goes into this whole story about how, what she's heard about Two Rivers Folk and just want to get your thoughts on your first impressions of men. <laughs> I know it all for most, for the most part. Sure. Um, I love how he states that her eyes were oddly intent. Mm-hmm. So that kind of gives you some insight. And we, of course, learn that she sees more beyond just the person. Um, sure. So I'm wondering like, how that comes into play later on in the series. 
like her importance and then others like her or maybe mm-hmm. she's a rarity or an oddity sure so yeah i was um, going to talk about yeah we're going to go into men's powers next that she sees ours or or images around people and um and she yeah. Looked, yeah she lists out a bunch here so i wanted to talk about those as well um uh, first what do you think about men's power uh do you think it has to do with the one power or is it something different or like what, what's your initial thoughts on that oh you just made me think and just that that question like is it part of the one power <laughs> i think it kind of goes to show that the one power manifests itself differently in different types of people sure um because we have this idea that there's one source um or that well, really, there's two sources, but the source kind of all comes from the power comes from one source is what it says. Like there's two forces, but one source. Mm-hmm. So you know this magic has to all be a derivative of that. It's just that maybe different type of people or different clans or different tribes of people manifest the power in different ways. Um. Yeah, that's kind of where my my thoughts went with that. Um, But, you know, every time I I think about the way the powers are showing up, it makes me just second guess everything. (laughs) Sure. And and she calls Moraine by her name and and Rand tries to play it off and act all cool. Like, who are you talking about? I don't know anybody named Moraine. She's like, Mr. Salas, if you want to call her that, but I know what her name is. Like, <laughs> she, she told me her name. Uh, <laughs> which I thought He's was definitely fun. being tested, which makes you wonder why didn't Moraine kind of fill them in if she knew, like, if they ran into each other, some, some conversation like this would happen. Or if there was at least someone there that knew their true identities, why not, why not fill the boys in on it? Sure. Um, I love so, her power. She said, I look at people and sometimes I know what they mean. I look at a man and a woman who've never talked to one another and I know they'll marry and they do that sort of thing. She wanted me to look at you, all of you together. So Moraine had her, her reasons. Mm-hmm. She wanted for the entire group to be surveyed and studied and then she's kind of letting men take charge on who she addresses and how. I think Moraine, again, is still trying to find out who the special one in the bunch is. And this is why she's kind of allowed them to meander in the city a little bit longer because it gives men the opportunity to really study the group. Bingo. Mm-hmm. So there, yeah, there you go, thing, Ian. Yeah. There's your your ulterior motive, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah. all right, I, I got to read this. Uh, if if we were doing a, a quote of the day, uh, this was my favorite part. And it, it follows right after that where she was telling Rand what she sees. And when she looked at the group and Rand says, what you see? She said, when you're all in a group, sparks swirling around you, thousands of them, and a big shadow, darker than midnight. It's so strong. I almost wonder why everybody can't see it. The sparks are trying to fill the shadow, and the shadow is trying to swallow the sparks. She shrugged. You were all tied together in something dangerous, but I can't make any more of it. And I think so like her descriptions, because she doesn't try to sway Rand in any one direction. I think because I'm skeptical of everybody we run into or that's friends of Moraine, like the fact that she's a little general with it, uh, I think gives her some credit in my mind. She's not trying to sway him to one side or the other. She's not trying to force him in any, any kind of choice. 
but just to impress upon him that he and this entire group, including um, Tom and Aguin and everybody, like they're all part of this together. And it's, it's a battle of light and dark. So pretty intense. Sure. And, you know, it's just everyone's in it. You know, Gwen, the Gleeman, everyone is part of this. Um, yeah. And, you know, that's, uh, uh, she says that, that all of them are. Uh, and then she goes into the whole thing with, uh, you know, uh, about Rand Love and Egwene, but it's not what she think it is. Um, you guys are, are not meant for each other. Um, not in the way that you think you guys are. So, um, yeah, I, I, so she loves you too, but she's not for you or you for her, not the way you both want. And he's like, what is that supposed to mean? So when I look at her, I see the same as when I look at Mistress as, uh, Mistress Alice. Alice. Yeah. Uh, other, other things, things I don't understand too, but I know what that means. She won't refuse it. So like, is she going to become a dark one or a mm-hmm. friend of the dark? Like, like what's, what is that alluding to? Um, and is there maybe something that might happen between Rand and uh, and our Miss Aes Sedai? Like, because, you know, she didn't specifically say be- beyond the fact that they both can tap into the power what them looking alike really means. So, like, maybe Moraine and, and Rand end up together if that's going to be a thing. Uh, sure. Yeah. I would sure. love to see that. If not, that can be some fan fiction for later on. Uh, but i really i really find it interesting when we get to uh we get to our gleeman yeah but before we get there we get land so he kind of goes through each person so you know it says the warder i mean master andra or he's got to say the warder so talk about land so i kind of want to go through each one of these things she sees and and obviously these are kind of like soothsaying kind of images so it's all cryptic, but I wanted to kind of get what your thoughts were on that. So, um, lands what she starts with and says, I see uh, seven towers, a babe in a cradle holding a sword, and something else. There's lots of things around around uh, waters or, or, you know, things like that. So, I always see lots of things. So, those are the two big ones. Um, what's your thoughts on those? Well, I'm wondering whether or not um, Rand and Land have a, a path. The babe in a cradle holding a sword. Mm-hmm. Well, we we know at this point, or can assume at this point, that Tam found, you know, our our good friend Rand, and maybe the sword has nothing to do with Tam, but has something to do with his actual parents, and maybe, um, Land has something to do with that. Yeah. So I, I had trouble pulling out like what I thought was going on with Lane and I I have crazier theories when it comes to the other ones and, and, sure. and Matt but Lane I was just kind of confused I guess obviously the the infant uh holding a sword or the infant infant sword is I linked to Rand but how that connects Jesus I don't know yeah so and the, the seven ruined towers mean absolutely nothing to me Sure. Yeah. And I'm assuming that that's going to mean something really important four books down the road. Possibly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. And then the Gleeman's a, a man that's not him juggling fire. Um, like another Gleeman that's not him. And then the White Tower. But that didn't make any sense to her either because why would a man be involved in the White Tower? <laughs> All right. So 
where I underline this, remember, uh, I've said before that the, the Gleeman, he's kind of hanging back just being a friend of Rand and the boys and whatnot, but he's not really revealing what his intentions are. And But like like you said, Chris, I think there's more to him than just being this happy-go-lucky performer. Uh, so maybe the juggling fire and the White Tower uh, is giving us an idea of who he's ultimately working for, what side he he, he lands on. Sure. He's just the biggest conundrum is kind of what she says. <laughs> like there are too many things around him for me to really understand. Too many things that don't make any sense. You've got a wolf. You've got a broken crown. You've got a tree flower. Like he, so that's, that's now all of these. That was Perrin though. The, the, oh. Yeah. So it says, yeah. So the strongest things I see around the big curly hair fellow. That's Perrin. Oh yeah. Okay. The wolf, so the I'm going. Crown. Yeah. <laughs> So we're going to get to that one next. That's Perrin. Um, so uh, I don't know if any of those make sense to you, but a wolf, a broken crown, and trees of flowers all around it. Well, we had our story. Like, that's what I got into. I, you know, it didn't really dawn on me who we were talking about. But for that, um, that kind of reminds me of the story that um, Tam was, back, was going on about when he was in his delusional stupor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wish I had gone back and actually pulled out the the name of the the um, the tree and everything. The Avendasora. Yes, thank you. Yep. So that's what that reminded me of. So I'm like, maybe he's the he's a derivative of, or maybe his ancestors are the the king that either gave the tree or was supposed to receive it. Like, okay. Hmm. And then, of course, Matt's the last one, which is the red eagle, the eye on a bound scale, the dagger with a ruby, a horn, a laugh, and a laughing face. All right. So, Chris, I know you jumped on this, but I got to say it first because you're, you're beating me on, on a good bitch tonight. <laughs> All I underlined was a horn. Uh, and we already heard, the, what is it, the great hunt? Yeah, the horn, yeah. Uh, it's, been, it's been brought up a couple of times and whatnot. So... Uh, if this is part of his or what's around him, like uh, he he's going to be our guy that fi- either finds it or uses it or whatever. Uh, and then, hmm. What else did I have on there? Nope, that was it. The eye okay. on the scale. I just like that imagery. Sure. Or an eye on a balance scale. So he's kind of like justice or like a bringer of justice because i think about the scale of time and then like a red eagle eagle always symbolizes like almost like royal was it royalty that the eagle symbolized for rome i can't the quite red... remember sorry what, what, what'd you ask i was gonna say i feel like the eagle had like a symbolism for like roman armies and everything i was just trying to yeah the, the, my... i'm not sure if it was a red eagle but yeah the roman armies definitely had had the the eagle was was a symbol of 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 the Roman legion. Yeah, so it kind of makes me think of that that kind of imagery, um, and, and not knowing the author very well and what his background was regarding history, we do know that he's got you know background in war. So I'm pretty sure that 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 eagle has something to do with the valor or something to that effect. The hmm. laughing face is what kind of throws me off. <laughs> sure. Sure. And then the last one is Rand, which is uh, 
Um, she sees a sword that isn't a sword, a golden crown of leaves, a beggar's staff, pouring water in the sand, a bloody hand, and a white hot iron. Uh, and three women standing over a, f- a, f- a funeral pyre. Uh, you on it. Black rocks sweat with blood. Yep. I I didn't go back so Alan you're going to have to fill in the blanks here but remember uh, not that long ago we were talking about the prophecy that essentially was the sword and the stone thing right yeah and we were talking about that that conundrum like you know the sword sword that cannot be touched exactly right but then she says a sword that isn't a sword which Chris I mean you you guessed that right off that bat that maybe it meant something more than that so I, I underline that. I, I think that's definitely telling and, and might give some credit to your uh, your guesses you gave last time, Chris. Right. Maybe so. And then Rand cuts her off and she says, Well, mostly I see lightning striking at you and and you know and, and all around you and things like that. Um, and that we'll meet again. Um, and then she kind of he doesn't want to hear any more of it, starts running away from her, and she's like, You can't escape me. I'm part I'm you know, I admit for not that, but you know that We'll meet again. And I'm I'm gonna be around you in the future, so you can't you can't run away from me. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So when when she says when she talks about the lightning, I mean I'm rereading it as you say it. My first impression wasn't that he was being attacked by it, but that he was somehow harnessing it. And if that's the case, this could be imagery of him utilizing the the one power. Sure, maybe. Rain's the man. <laughs> well, man. I love how she's just like, but if I told you everything I saw, you'd be as curly haired as your friend with the shoulders. And then he jerked his hand back and said, What do you mean? Do you see anything about rats or my dreams? And then she's like, Rats? As for dreams, maybe it's your idea of a dream, but I never thought it was mine. Like, she's even alluding to the fact that this is not a dream. Yeah. Like if you think this is a dream, you're you're crazier than I am. <laughs> sure. So um so now at this point he runs away from her. He just starts running down the street, runs into all these people, and then he's you know, slows down, starts walking and, and he starts, you know, seeing different people and say, you know, kind of reminds him of different people back home and he, he paints it up a bunch of people from the two rivers that it could have been, you know, Sin Bowie's cousin and things like that. You know, I'm not sure exactly which ones, but he you know, he's going through and seeing faces and and then he sees one person. He's like, "Wait a second, that is Fane." Um, <laughs> um, so we, we see her peddler again. Um, you know, he's he's in the crowd, and and he kind of yells out, and Fane sees him and takes off running. Um, um, so what do you think about this interaction with Fane? You know, he, he sees Fane. Fane runs away, gets to an alleyway, backs into a corner, and and Fane looks like completely disheveled. I mean, it looks. Looks Fane like hell. Snitch. I'm gonna go there. We okay. don't even have to go into this interaction. Like Fane is a loser. She clearly ran away, trying to like find a way to regain some of his wealth because he's lost it all. He blames it on Edmund Field. Like mm-hmm. he blames it on the eyes to die. And he's like, wait a second, is she here? And then he goes, maybe though. And it's like a perhaps moment. Uh, he licks his lips nervously. How long will you be here? What uh, What was it? What did you call it? The 
stag and lion, he's going to snitch. Like, he's going to be the one to bring the children of light down on the Rand and the crew. Like, I just, I'm going to go ahead and make the prediction. <laughs> the next three chapters, we're going to have a battle between uh, Moraine and, and the group versus the children of the light. And it's all going to be this snitch's fault. Like, <laughs> there sure. we go. <laughs> I could care less about everything that's happened to him. Because my mind instantaneously went to, he's a snitch. <laughs> a coward and a snitch. <laughs> I'll go ahead and check that bet. You, you pretty much read my notes. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Fane seems a bit crazy in the scene. You know, he also says, you know, don't tell Moraine about him. He doesn't trust Aes Sedai, which we've seen that from multiple characters right now that don't trust Aes Sedai. That's not nothing, nothing there. Um, hey, wait, wait. Talking about not trusting, I do have to say this. Alan, you're a bit of an asshole because I remember when we go back to Edmonds Field, I remember Alan go, so what do you guys think happened to Master Fane or Perrin Fane? And we're all like, the Trollocs ate him, and you're like, yep, uh, could be. <laughs> we can't trust you. We can't trust Alan. Nothing he says is real. I'm not going to give away that. anything. In fact, I might no, lead you didn't. down the wrong way. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, yeah. You're right up there with Moraine in my book right now, Alan. Be careful. Be careful with what words I say. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> so yeah. Um, so your thoughts on it, you know, that, 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 that Fane's obviously looking to get I mean, everything. He's lost everything. His, 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 his cart was burned to the ground. Um, so he's, he's going to snitch on them to get kind of some favors or, or try to get some, you know, something back. So that's, that's the prediction we have right now going. Um, and then, you know, ran, uh, pain runs, Fane runs away again. Rain tries to run after him and runs right into Matt, which what are the co- chances like uh, there this- aren't much. Like I feel like this is not really a coincidence, but you know they were brought together because that's just the way they draw to each other. I think. Okay. Yeah, I feel like there's a connection between the three of them in the group, or maybe the entire group, where you know the source is kind of bringing them together. Now I'm just gonna call it the source because I don't know what this power is. I don't know what it is that's, that's bringing them together, but they're, they're attracted to each other. Sure. And so that's my thoughts on that. <laughs> sure. But I love Matt's answer. He's like, uh, when, when um, Rand is talking to him about not saying anything to uh, Mistress Alice, he's like, shit. <laughs> He's like he doesn't want her. Uh, he doesn't want her to know he's here. He made me promise I wouldn't tell her. He's like, well, a secret safe with me. I wish she didn't know where I was either. <laughs> that is growing on me. I've got to admit it. He's slowly becoming at least the funny character in the group, and I love yeah. the, the comic relief if nothing else. <laughs> wild card. Just wild card. <laughs> so um, you know he. The, they both saw Fane. Matt says he thought he saw Pat and Fane. He said, yeah, I talked to him. Uh, so um, uh, obviously he saw him too. And, and, and Rand asked Matt about the nightmare. And, and we get the confirmation here that, that Matt did have the same dream as well. Um, uh, and, and, um, and Matt doesn't trust Moraine. 
um, or believe Balsamot. Uh, that's something else as well. She doesn't believe doesn't believe what was said in the dream. Uh, thinks that was all lies, but also doesn't trust Moraine either, and doesn't doesn't want to tell Moraine about it. And and they make kind of a pact not to tell tell her. <laughs> yeah, I still don't know if Matt should be played by a guy that is just so overly arrogant, but you don't like him because he has good reason to be arrogant. Or or are they gonna play him with a guy that's like high all the time because he's almost he's almost way too carefree about shit. I know I'm jumping ahead just a tad bit, but like when Rand starts telling him the descriptions from um uh what's that chick's name? Men. Men, yeah, yeah. yeah. He just goes, ah, a dagger with a ruby, huh? Well, I like that. I don't know about the eye, though. And then he just goes on. Like, he's just so carefree. Like, ah, fuck it. Let's go get something to eat. You know, like, I. (laughs) Sure. So, yeah. um, And Rand's not feeling well still. And then we see white cloaks. And we get a description of the white cloaks coming down the road. Um, So. Three men in breastplate. And uh, conical steel caps burnished till they shone like silver. And it says, we're making their way down the street towards Rand and Matt. Even the mail on their arms gleamed pristine white and embroidered on the left breast with a golden sunburst. Just clear the mud and puddles. Excuse me. Just clean the mud and puddles of the street. Their hands rested on their sword hilts. They looked around them as if looking at things that had wriggled out from underneath a rotting log. So literally like they're the snooty, pompous, arrogant, like white knights. And there's our sunburst. Sure. Which brings us back to the beginning of the book, or excuse me, the beginning of this chapter. So And then we have I just I don't like them. Yeah, but then we have Rand and Matt see these guys coming, and Matt's first instinct, I love it, his first instinct is, hey, dude, check this out. I'm going to go fuck with them. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Me and him would totally hang out. (laughs) Yeah, his first instinct is like, see those barrels over there? Watch this. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, hold my beer. So yeah, so Matt decides to to knock the barrels over, and they splash mud all over their pristine white cloaks, and um, and obviously they get really really bad about this, um, and they and they see Rand and immediately blame him, and, uh, and this was uh, a really weird scene where like Rand just like kind of stands up to him, and is like, so what if I did like, <laughs> like, uh, 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 like um, um, and, and they notice the sword uh, right away. Um, but they don't believe it's his. Uh, they kind of discount it. Like, there's no way that's yours. There's no way you have a hair marked blade. Which goes back to this blade. Um, that's yeah. it. I'm Googling it tonight. <laughs> <laughs> he said, you are the dangerous youngling. Yeah. Or I said, you are that dangerous youngling. So it's like, they realize that there's something very special about this. Rand has no idea what he's got and what power he's got. Um, but they're all like, ah, he's too young. You're not from this place, yes? Where do you come from? So now he's bringing unwanted attention to himself. Or I should say, Matt has brought it unwanted attention to him. So Matt is our troublemaker in the group. Sure. He's our trickster oh. character. Sure. <laughs> 
but it, it, it good. it's good that this attention happened the way it did because it's another chance for Rand to learn something about himself. And un- unfortunately, it didn't fully unfold. But as, as he's staring these guys down that by all rights, he should be afraid of. He's dodging their question. He's not giving them direct answers. He's, he's fucking with them. And, and then it says the tingling filled Rand. He had grown to a fever. He wanted to laugh. It felt so good. A small voice in his head shouted that something was wrong, but all he could think of was how full of energy he felt, nearly bursting with it, smiling. He rocked on his heels and waited for what was going to happen. Vaguely, distantly, he wondered what it would be. And, man, so I reread read this a couple of times, and we've talked about, well, Chris, you, you talked about Rand possibly being a warder, and you know how the warders were described to get, like, this extra amount of energy and just crazy badass battle skills and whatnot. And you can kind of see this building in Rand kind of out of nowhere. Uh, and, and that voice that should be louder telling him that, Hey, that something's wrong was like just a tiny voice in the distance. And he, he was ready to whoop these guys butts. Yeah. Very cool. That's true. So and of course our town's watch arrives and stops the whole. <laughs> yep. So the town watch. Yeah. Yeah. So the town watch shows up, stops everything. And, uh, kind of diffuses the whole scene and and that ends that scene so they leave and they they run into tom um and um you know they, just, they both decide to just go ahead and tell tom about the dreams and once they start telling about you know they start stumbling over each other telling the story and um and tom gets some insight about some of the stuff in the dreams and and tom's really freaked out about this he's like wait you all have the dream okay this is not normal and don't say by Alzaman, you know, don't say that name out loud. Uh, if anybody overhears that bad things could happen. Like that's not a name you speak. Um, and then he starts naming some of the names because uh, those were false dragons and uh, talks a little bit the eye of the world. So just want to kind of get your thoughts. He says dangerous names, nearly as dangerous as nearly as dangerous as that other one way and another all dead now, except for, Logan, some long dead, um, Dark's Bane nearly 2,000 years, but dangerous just the same. Best you don't say them aloud, even when you're alone. Most people wouldn't recognize the one of them that the wrong person overhears. And then, of course, it's like men, men who shook the pillars of the heavens and rocked the world on its foundation. It doesn't matter. Forget about them. They are dust now. So I really like how he's like, just leave it alone drop it don't say the names don't think about them like be done with it yeah and then you know i the eye of the world portion i i missed that somewhere maybe they did they didn't name oh yeah they said down there um no he mentions it he says uh a legend the gleeman said softly maybe as big a legend as the horn of valerie at least in the borderlands up there, young men go hunting the eye of the world the way young men from Ilion hunt the horn. Maybe a legend. So uh, you know what I, I just saw where I had that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he doesn't get into it too much more than that. And obviously, I think he knows more to the story of it, but he doesn't. He doesn't fill us in on it quite yet. Right. And they they all agree. Just let's not tell Moraine about this yet. Um, so I don't. <laughs> you know I so. You know, everyone's kind of agreeing not to. Is this a good idea not to tell her? What do you guys think? Uh, I know Ian does not trust 
uh, Moraine as far as you can throw her. Uh, so, um, but, uh, you know, do you think it's a good idea for them not to tell Moraine or, or do you think I, this? I feel like for their protection, they kind of need to be a little bit more transparent with her at this point. Okay. Like, you don't have to maybe not give it all away. Maybe they discuss it in hypotheticals. Maybe one of them mentions the dream to protect the others. But you kind of like got to start the conversation at some point in time. Because right now she's kind of flying blind. She doesn't know that they're essentially interacting with the dark one. Right. Well, she did it to herself. She did it to herself. She thought she could control the situation and manipulate these people and go on this journey. And Rand picked up on it right off the bat, especially in that chapter called, quote unquote, choices. Rand said multiple times in his thoughts, like, all right, I'm doing all this because I've essentially been made to. I haven't really had a choice yet. And so where she thought she was controlling the situation and someone like Rand, he's so skeptical, he trusts her even less. Uh, and, and, you know, they point out the when he's first talking about uh, to Matt about that, they talk about the uh, back at the river where they the ferry? sunk the boat. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah ferry. the ferry. Oh, my goodness. I couldn't think of the word ferry. Maybe I'm high. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah, so there was just enough that happened that she caused to happen that made Rand not trust her. So with all the information I have so far, Tom uh, is the only one I think I would have had the conversation with. Okay, I don't blame him. Yeah, so but they all realize kind of like, well, Perrin had the dream too. He's still back at the end. He might tell Moraine, let's go hurry back. So they all run back to the end to get Perrin before they have a chance. And and as soon as they run to the end, Perrin's running out to go find them. And they bump in, they have this interaction where like, did you tell her? Did you tell her? He's like, no, I actually was coming to find you guys because I need to tell you guys something. And kind of goes into this whole story you know and he forgets what he was you know for a second and then um you know stops and says wait the reason why i was coming to find you is the wisdom's here and eve is <laughs> yeah naive is here so so and that's how we end this chapter them going oh shit um and, and they're all talking about well maybe we she came after us <laughs> yeah <laughs> and they're like uh well maybe we shouldn't go in there <laughs> here's my second favorite or actually my first favorite of the whole chapter here she came after us she's with with mistress alice right now right now and it's cold enough in there to snow yeah (laughs) yeah so um and they they don't they're they're trying to avoid it and they're like maybe we should just go in at all and tom talks some sense into them like he says you know if you avoid it she's just going to get louder and louder about this and we're going to get unwanted attention. So you might as well, guys, suck it up. Just go in there. Because if you avoid this, bad things might happen. Which is right. That, brought them, yeah. that yeah. brought them all up short. They yeah. exchanged glances, <laughs> drew deep breaths, and marched inside as if to face Trollocs. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that paints the picture. Yep. So uh, that ends our chapter. So it uh, ends our episode for this week. So final thought on this chapter or anything we missed or any of the chapters for that matter. Uh, in my in my blank space there with her showing up, uh, I just wrote news from home, question mark. Uh, obviously, you know, we're going to find out more about what happened with Tam, hopefully. Hopefully. Um, and news from home, not necessarily a good thing, could be bad news. So 
as soon as we hang up here, I am definitely going to start reading again. <laughs> sure. Exactly. All right. Um, you know, for me, it's just one of those things, like the questions start to fly, like how did she find them? Yep. How did she move so quick? Like, what is there more to her than meets the eye? Um, just so many questions. And if she could find them, then who else has found them? And then again, you know, when are the uh, the children of the light coming? Because we know our uh, our boy is clearly a snitch. Like, I'm just going to put it out there. <laughs> there goes my, my thoughts for the day is we're about to have an epic battle in the next two chapters or so. <laughs> because we know that there's uh fame is definitely going to be a snitch i just sure i feel it (laughs) good deal all right well we're going to wrap it up um next week we'll be covering the next two chapters uh the wisdom chapter 16 and chapter 17 watchers and hunters so that's uh the wisdom and watchers and hunters for next week um how you can find us or communicate with us there's lots of different ways um uh, we, we can be found on social media, of course, at Facebook, uh, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at The Wheel Reads. Uh, we also have our email, which is thewheelreads at gmail.com. Um, I monitor that. A good way to interact with us as well as Discord. Um, we have more people joining uh, every week. Uh, we're still small there, which makes it really, really easy to communicate with us through that. We have a bunch of different uh, channels. Uh, whether it's your first time reading, uh, there's channels that are safe for you. Um, or whether you're um, uh, our veteran and read it many times, there's also channels that Ian and Chris are allowed into um, that, <laughs> that you can go into and still chat about uh, maybe Ian and Chris's theories and, and say like, oh my God, they got this right. And you can say that on our Discord and they can't see it, but we can still talk about it. So, <laughs> or, oh my God, they're idiots and they got this wrong. And you can put that somewhere. <laughs> that <you> can see. <laughs> I can't wait for the next six and a half years that I can go read all of the things. <laughs> Spent entire day just reading through everything that people said. Yes, <laughs> but um, and um, um, as well as we do have a Patreon. Um, those links are below. Um, you know, uh, we we tried tonight to do a live recording. We did get our Patreon on to listen. Um, our, our, one of our Patreon members uh, to to listen to this. Um, uh, in a roundabout way, we're still kind of working through technology. So hopefully, if we get more people that join that, um, for just a dollar a month, um. Uh, Hopefully we can figure out a way to do live recordings. We're going to figure this out. Um, definitely. Um, and um, um, looking forward to just uh, moving forward and also looking forward to seeing everyone at Jordan con that's going this year. So that's a uh, definitely um, hit us up. Uh, if, if you guys are planning on going and uh, we, we we'll grab a beer or something in Atlanta. Um, other than that, um, also whatever service you're listening to this on, um, you know, review us, uh, like us, subscribe. That helps us uh, get found by other people. Um, we're, we're on, I think it's nine or ten different platforms. Um, so um, if it's whether it's Apple, Apple or um, you know iTunes or podcast, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, or uh, Spotify or wherever it is. Um, and if you're hearing this somewhere else and you normally listen somewhere else and we're not on there, let me know and I'll try to get us on there too. So um, uh, happy to do that as well. Any final notes from you guys before we go ahead and sign off for the night? Until nope. next time. All right. Yep, peace. Until next time. Thank you for listening to The Wheel of Reads. See you all next time.